0: Welcome to another episode of Between the Notes. I'm Rich. And this is Keith. And we are... You're in for, I think, a real treat today. This is going to be a fun episode. Of course, we think they're all fun episodes. Absolutely. But this, in particular, we're very excited about. Uh, We wanted to do something a little Christmas-themed for uh, for this episode. And so, uh, today we're going to be talking about if you kind of think of uh, hard rock and heavy metal and you think of who might fall into that Christmas category, I would say these guys uh, fit the bill pretty well. Uh, we're going to be talking about Trans-Siberian Orchestra today, and um, we got a lot of stuff, a lot of information, We, you know, fun stuff we want to share with you as well as some clips. And we're even going to go back in time a little bit before TSO and sort of talk a little bit about their origins and how they kind of came about. So... Uh, so this is a a, a group that um, uh, I thought this was interesting. I was just kind of in doing some research on 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 them. In 2007, uh, the Washington Post did a write up on these guys, and here's how they described them: Arena rock juggernaut that uh, is Pink Floyd meets Yes and the Who at Radio City Music Hall,
1: with a little Christmas thrown in. Yeah, yeah,
0: with a little extra jingle bells. <laughs> Keith, talk, talk a little bit because I know you know these guys really well. You've seen them a number of times in in uh, in concert. From what I understand, their live, uh, uh, of course, this which is what they do. Uh, their uh, uh, their live events are just unbelievable. That's true. Um, I read somewhere one time that they spend upwards of like twenty million dollars on their tours, uh, easily. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, which doesn't surprise me based on just even pictures I've seen of these guys. But let's go back a little bit and let's talk a little bit about these guys uh, and where they came from. What are the origins of TSO? How did TSO come about?
1: Well, um, I remember in the mid-90s, I was a Sabotage fan at the time and I was – you know, listening to their albums every time they would come out with something new, I would go buy it. I was a big fan of the band, and uh, I had heard about a new project that Paul O'Neill was going to do with the band called the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I'd read it in a magazine somewhere, and I thought, well, this sounds interesting. And it was going to involve Christmas music, and I thought, well, I'm anxious to hear this. I'd like to know what this is going to be about. Uh, But um, to go back... Uh, they actually started off as a band called Sabotage. Mm-hmm. Um, the musical members of Sabotage make up the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Yeah. Um, and an interesting fact about the Trans-Siberian Orchestra is it's way more than just those members of the band. There oh, yeah. are a lot of members in that band there has to be uh, to pull off what they do. Now, recording-wise, you only need so many uh, musical members to do it. Right. But they use a lot of different vocalists, uh, for different uh, parts of the stories, and uh, they when they tour, they use two different bands because it's a short amount of time that they have to do a tour. Right. Uh, they have an East Coast to touring band and a West Coast oh, well, yeah. touring band. So they obviously have to employ a lot more musicians. That means a lot more trucks, buses, right? Uh, you know, gear, stage equipment, amps, whatever. So it's a monumental task, yeah. money wise to do that sure, but um to go back uh sabotage um started off in the the early eighties uh that's when they really got their start mm-hmm. and uh they were just a, they were another metal band uh they were originally out of Tampa, Florida, that's where they originated uh, the Oliva Brothers, John and Chris mm-hmm. got it started and um they didn't really start to take off commercially. Uh, didn't really start to achieve much popularity until Paul O'Neill came along. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul O'Neill became one of their main uh, uh, songwriters and uh, collaborators, uh, produced the Sabotage Records mm-hmm. at the time, and um, he was an inter- integral part of the band, although he didn't perform with them or sing or anything like that. He was right. kind of like an extra member, and... uh he came along, if my memory serves me correctly, I believe it was Hall of the Mountain King was the first album that he collaborated with him mm-hmm. on. <clears throat> and uh, I believe that uh, we have a song from that album we're going to use yeah. for this right now. So yeah, um, absolutely. That uh, this is a good time to give you a little bit of uh, musical uh, origins right here and uh, go with uh, Hall of the Mountain King.
0: takes us back to uh, their origins a little bit. That's a little bit of sabotage. And um, I know you were talking about how, um, you know, these guys, they evolved over time. I mean, thanks to Paul O'Neill's, I would imagine, uh, his influence and impact upon them as he came in and produced and helped write songs and so forth.
1: Things seemed to get a little bit more orchestral Mm -hmm. and classical as they went along. I mean, they were still a hard rock and heavy metal band, you know, throughout uh their career. But when you go to the next album, Gutter Ballet, and then the the next album after that is Streets, which is a concept album and one of my all time favorites. Um, and then after that, John O'Liva, the vocalist and one of the main lyricists, uh, sort of backed off a little bit and took a back seat to the band and uh allowed another singer to come in and perform. Uh Zach Stevens is his name. And um they changed a little bit there just because of the vocal style. But as he continued in the band, they continued to evolve even more. And by the time they had gotten to um, the last album before uh, the, that TSO really took over right, was The Wake of Magellan. Oh, and right. by that time, you could almost see The Wake of Magellan is like TSO, but, oh, uh, with, but with more singers sure yeah yeah <laughs> it was a, uh, you can really see the progression it's almost as if it just they just melded one into the other oh sure and became trans Siberian orchestra
0: sure because and, and if you look at like you can go to i don't know, wikipedia or you know discogs or whatever and you can kind of look and see and what's interesting about if you if you watch uh, if you look at the dates I think Wake of Magellan came out, what, 95, 96, somewhere, somewhere in around that area. And yeah. TSO's first album was 96. Right. And so, I mean, it's just like, I mean, they, it, it really is, like you said, they went from being one thing to another thing.
1: Well, Trans-Siberian Orchestra actually, um, and I don't, like I said, I don't have an inside track to this, but just based on what little bit I know about them, uh, they were actually, I think, more of a side project you yeah. know, to Sabotage. Sabotage was still a band. Mm-hmm. And uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra uh, recorded that first album, Christmas Eve and Other Stories, mm-hmm. and went out on tour, which I was at, by the way. Um, and um, it was so successful, and it really caught on. And uh, Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, their big hit off uh, that first TSO record, uh, just really took the world by storm I mean it was really it's played everywhere I can hear it I can hear it in Kmart for peace oh yeah (laughs) for sure you hear it everywhere this time of year it's on TV commercials and uh, interesting fun fact here that some of you may or may not know is Christmas Eve Sarajevo the big TSO Christmas hit was actually on a sabotage album
0: yeah it It was was
1: on Dead Winter Dead Mm -hmm. which is another concept album and uh, that's where I first heard it and so before TSO even became a thing, I heard this song and thought, man, that is fantastic. <laughs> and it
0: lent itself to the
1: whole concept of TSO.
0: Yeah, yeah. it it really... Um, and we're going to actually play a little clip of that song. Uh, and this is one... Uh, and, and while typically we don't play ones that everybody sort of knows, obviously this is something special and this is a special Christmas episode. And this really... Because it has ties to both um, uh, Sabotage and TSO. Uh, so, we're going to play a little clip of this and uh, we'll come back on the flip side and we'll talk about it, about it a little bit.
1: Christmas Eve, Sarajevo. <laughs>
0: So that's a little bit of uh, Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, and um, and like we like we said before the song. There's some crossover there between Sabotage and uh, TSO. In fact, you were telling me while we were kind of listening to it there, um, it's pretty much the same recording. I mean, yeah. it's it's not like they went back into the studio and re-recorded it for TSO. Talk a little bit about uh, their first tour, because that I mean I can imagine that was a really big deal. I mean here. Paul is really working to, um, create something that is very much arena style. I mean, he was aiming for something that was big, that was epic. Um, you know, he wanted to take this blend of, uh, all these influences that he had had, you know, while he was growing up from, you know, classical and rock, you know, to, you know, just, blues just blues and everything jazz there's everything in this and and he really wanted to do a full rock opera i mean it was just sort of this this you know this massive thing so i can imagine that first tour was really a big big deal to them getting you know getting it out there
1: it was i think uh i remember uh, you know like i said earlier being a fan of sabotage i was already uh, i sort of had an inside track you know all of us sabotage fans who knew the band we kind of already knew what was what was happening, you know? And uh, when uh, they put out the Trans-Siberian Orchestra album, of course I bought it, I have it on CD, and uh, I listened to it at Christmas time and I just loved it. I loved it front to back, I thought it was magnificent. I thought, why hasn't somebody thought of this before? <laughs> this is genius, <laughs> this is amazing. And so I thought, well, if they do a tour, you know, that would be cool. Well, lo and behold, they did a tour. Yeah and uh it did not start off i mean if you look at a trans-siberian orchestra video on youtube or something right now it's bombastic it it, it's the only thing out there that i have ever seen that can rival a kiss show or an iron maiden (laughs) show or something because it is over the top yeah and it's just massive but the first tour wasn't like that i'm sure that the budget wasn't there yet for that um because the first time i saw them on tour i saw them on their very first tour they came through Nashville and I went to the Ryman Auditorium mm-hmm. uh home of the you know Grand Ole Opry originally uh great acoustics in that uh in that hall and uh I remember going online and this was when the internet was still pretty new right and uh I got online and I ordered two tickets for me and my wife and when I was looking for the availability I got on there the day that they went on sale I wasn't like you know They didn't have to wait in line or anything, you (laughs) Had to be the first one to line at the box office to get tickets or anything. It was convenient to just get them online like that. And when I looked at the uh, ticket availability, nobody had bought tickets yet. Really? Wow. Nobody knew who these people were. Yeah. You know, I mean, by and large, I won't say nobody. Of course, some of us did. Uh, But um, I could have had front row center tickets if I'd wanted them. (laughs) But... Knowing the way the Ryman is set up, right. I didn't want to spend the entire night looking up at the stage, <laughs> you know, right. on that front row. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I didn't want that, so I chose front row center in the balcony, so I could look down and see the entire production. Right, and that's what I got. And there were fantastic seats. It was a fantastic show, but the uh, the uh, there was no pyrotechnics or anything sure. big yet. I mean, there were lights and it was cool and it was. Uh, it was a very good show. Right. And I was blown away by it. I thought this is fantastic. But I thought even at at the time I thought, well this this may be it, you know, right. This may have just been a side project and a, a little whim. But it wasn't. Yeah. As it turned out, uh, it got bigger and bigger and bigger as time went on and uh sabotage sort of was the
0: band that faded away and mm-hmm. took the back seat to T S O Well and I was gonna ask you too, especially seeing that sort of first tour, did it feel experimental? Did it feel like it was something where, you know, um, you know, Paul has made it very clear that he had this goal, you know, you listen to him in in interviews and stuff like that. He had this goal for this thing to be, you know, we're going to spare no expense. We're going to, we're going to make this thing big, but obviously in the beginning stages of it here, it, it feels more, I don't know if int- intimate's the right word, but but it certainly doesn't feel like that big giant, you know, thing that it became. Did it feel like that when you were watching that that first concert of theirs? Did it feel like oh, this this might be if given time they're kind of experimenting around a little bit and it's it they're wanting it to be something more or this is what it is and this is what it'll always be kind of thing.
1: I I couldn't tell it at the very beginning, but, you know, as the years went on and they continued, I mean, they made uh, another Christmas album uh, a little bit later on, The Christmas Attic. Mm -hmm. Uh, They made that album and they they continued to tour. Mm -hmm. But I noticed that they were outgrowing, you know, the smaller venues. They had to go bigger. So the audiences were getting bigger. The stages were getting bigger. The production was getting bigger. And I remember when I went uh, a few years later, they were at uh, the arena, but it was only half of the arena. Oh, wow. The stage was set up in the middle of the arena, and only half of the seats in the arena were being sold. So I thought, well, this is bigger than the Ryman, but they're not selling out arenas yet. Right. Now they're selling out arenas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And as a matter of fact, uh, now they'll do two shows, and the, they'll do a day show and a night show. Oh wow! Yeah. So you get two chances to go see them, right?
0: Uh, because now they can sell out arenas. Well, and and I know you're wearing actually you're wearing your one of your Trans Siberian Orchestra shirts. I felt it appropriate. From, <laughs> and that's from the 2014 tour. Yeah. Right. right. And mm-hmm. and if you look on if you look at that list on the I mean that that's dozens of cities, and. So it's not, you know, already they're doing dozens of stops on the tour, and they're only doing it in a very limited amount of time. This is not something where it's not touring all year long. Is that right? Right, right. So, you know, you've got, you can understand, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, you can understand why they need an East Coast and a West Coast, um, if for nothing else, so they have the time to be able to cover all this territory. But not only that, but the... I mean, it's brutal enough to have to do one concert, I'm sure, because you know they're giving 110% when they go out there on stage. So to do it not just once, but to do it twice, possibly in nearly every city that they're going to, giving people an ample opportunity to see them, uh, that's a real feat. I mean, that is <laughs> that really shows you to me the dedication and the commitment that they've made to, listen, we're going to do this we're all in and and this is this is what it's going to be right exactly it's
1: a it's a huge undertaking to do what they do um but man
0: do they do it right oh man and and that really is a credit to uh you know especially those core guys you you look at uh john oliva and and, and paul O'Neill and and al, al Petrelli, you know yeah. um and those guys you know the the the, the love and care and, I, and from what i of course you know paul O'Neill rest in peace absolutely passed away uh earlier this year april 5th um and uh and it's my understanding that the tour that they're doing now is a tribute really to i mean you know they they there decided and, yeah. And yeah. they decided to carry on and they really wanted to to you know honor him and honor his memories so.
1: and i hope they continue to carry on uh, absolutely i mean paul was the heart and soul of that whole project and uh he was their main writer lyricist uh he was his it was his ideas uh, that were put into play and uh you know come to life mm-hmm. you know so i hope that they continue on i hope that they uh keep going because i i would think that that's the way paul would have wanted it but uh it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be something to see you yeah. know to see how, where, where, he where he they go? go from here exactly
0: we're going to play another uh, song for you this is i think this is also off off of christmas eve and other stories and this next one is called a mad russian's christmas so we're going to play this clip and then... We come back, we'll talk about it a little bit on the flip side. that was a mad russian's christmas and that's one of my favorites actually yes, i, I really that like one. that and i i uh, we were talking while we were listening to it uh i love the sort of juxtaposition of that song the fact that it's called a mad russian's christmas and you get this you know this beginning part this very delicate almost you know dance of the sugar plum uh, plum fairies and and the nutcracker sweet, you know and all that kind of stuff that's that's and that really is again that that's indicative of the genius, yeah, how they really like to to take this this sort of classical Christmas music that you you identify obviously with Christmas and really inject it into what they're doing, right? It's make a, it their own,
1: uh, right? Yes, yeah, exactly what you said. It it make they make it their own. It's uh, they put a new spin on it, um, and it's just very very cool.
0: I was thinking a lot about this uh, their their uh, the the band name. You know, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, I ran across this quote. This is from Paul O'Neill. He said this one time. He said, In the 1980s, I was, I was fortunate enough to have visited Russia. If anyone has ever seen Siberia, it is incredibly beautiful, but incredibly harsh and unforgiving as well. The one thing that everyone who lives there has in common uh, that runs across it in relative safety is the Trans-Siberian Railway. Life, too, can be incredibly beautiful, but also incredibly harsh and unforgiving and the one thing that we all have in common that runs across it in relative safety is music. It it, w- it was a little bit overly philosophical but it sounded different. And I like the initials TSL. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, that's, that's very cool. So uh so that that gives you a little insight into how Paul's mind kind of works and why, you know, even he named them the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, so. Um one thing I love about Paul is he was never
1: he was never one of these guys that felt like he needed to be in the limelight, or whatever you right. know, he let everybody else make the music. You know, he was uh, part of the genius behind Sabotage, He is the genius behind Trans Siberian Orchestra, um, but he never said, "Look at me." He never said, "Hey, this is my idea. This right. is all mine." Uh, and it, by all the accounts that I have read about or heard about from the musicians and the other, you know, the people that knew him knew him best. Um, he was one of the nicest greatest people I've they ever met. I've always heard that about him. Yeah. Yeah, he was a uh, a very good guy. Um uh, legend has it uh and I may have this story not 100% right, but uh, there was a story about him um uh I guess there was a uh, young fan or something that uh was there for the first time and uh, he had met I believe it was a young lady uh, and um she, I guess, didn't have great seats or whatever. So uh, he put her on the front row and gave her the jacket off his back. Wow. Trans Siberian Orchestra tour jacket yeah. or whatever. Uh, that's the kind of guy he was, you know? That's cool. Uh, just a, a great guy. I wish I could have met him.
0: Oh, I do too. He said one time, he said, TSO's goal is to make the best albums and concerts we possibly can, sparing no amount of time or expense, and then charge the lowest possible price. No musician or singer is on the TSO flight deck for the money. We do it because we love the energy from the crowd, especially the kids. Also in Trans-Siberian Orchestra, the crew are as much a member of the band as anyone on the flight deck. They actually have the hardest jobs. They are the first ones in and the last ones out. Watching them work is like watching a well choreographed ballet or military operation. TSO could not be TSO without them, and we know it. So, I mean, here's a guy who he's not interested in taking the credit. He wants to give the credit to, you know, to the crew around him and the people and the and the fans as well. He knows which side his bread is buttered on. <laughs> yeah, he does. Tell me, tell me again, who are the core, who are the core sort of members of TSO? I mean, who are the guys that sort of started this? Because, like you said, there's there's dozens of guitarists dozens of vocalists dozens of, of of you know musicians that come and and contribute and participate whether it's in the recordings or certainly when they're on tour but the core guys uh, themselves uh, aside from Paul
1: uh, well obviously Al petrelli on guitar sure uh, he was in sabotage he uh, eventually re- replaced uh, uh, the late great Chris Oliva yeah uh, who was in sabotage uh, who passed away in a terrible car accident in 1993. Um and uh Johnny Lee Middleton, an original member of Sabotage mm-hmm. from the beginning. Um, and of course uh there's uh John Oliva mm-hmm. uh you know who was one of the main uh people behind the whole thing and on drums Jeff Plate yeah. uh, who came along after their original drummer uh Steve Walkholz left the band. And I hope I pronounced his last name right. Uh, but um, that really is the core members right. of the band and uh, like I like you said, they have other uh, singers that uh, several different singers and other musicians that make it happen um, and uh, uh, but that's the
0: core okay okay um, And uh, I know one of the things that I thought was very interesting too was one of the things that seems TSO seems to be kind of known for is is the artwork with uh with what they do and and they kind of have a very unique um look to them as well and you know their their cover art and and you know the just in general of that that sort of uh, illustration and look and feel uh and that stuff is actually done by a guy by the name of greg hildebrandt and the interesting thing about him is that him and his brother tim were one of the art were artists that did one of the original Star Wars posters.
1: That's interesting. I I didn't
0: know that. And so uh, they actually, um, if you go back and look, there's a, there's a poster and it's not one of the more, I mean, it's a famous poster, but it's not one that people tend to have a lot. But there's a, there's a poster that has uh, like Luke Skywalker and Leia uh, up and it's, it's all illustrated, but it's very, very, um, uh, it's very much done in that style. If you you know if you kind of you know think of the style of of the uh, cover art of of uh, TSO and so yeah they these guys and these guys have been in the industry for years. They're just really really talented. So I know uh, the story goes that uh, when Greg found out about TSO, that he basically tracked Paul O'Neill down and sh- to show him his artwork. Uh, he he actually drew some stuff up. He got, like got up, I think, in the middle of the night, and like did a bunch of you know uh, sketches, sketches and stuff like that. Tracked Paul down, and gave it to him, and the rest is history. And that's kind of how he ended up uh, doing their artwork and cover art and stuff like that. So, Funny how
1: things work out. Yeah, man. Oh
0: man. Um, well, let's play another one. This is uh, uh this is called Music Box Blues. And this one's off the Christmas attic, if I'm that is correct. Quick. Is that uh, right?
1: And the late great Daryl Pettiford on vocals.
0: And uh, another person that they're actually paying homage to yeah, paying on, on this, tour. To on this yes. tour, as well. All right, well, let's take a listen to this, and we'll talk some more on the flip side.
2: Remember last Christmas Eve when we sat next to our first tree, all immense reflected light of a candle in the night and I gave you a music box back then it seemed like so much we watched it go round and round as the melodies they unwound these things are now long gone and not to be wished upon again But the music box continues to turn Candle in the window continues to burn But I know they're just memories this past girl, you So
0: that was music box blues, and what's the name of the artist who sings that? Who's that? That's the... Daryl Pettiford. Daryl Pettiford, and uh, and you can tell why he was picked for that song. I mean, it's just so soulful. It's beautiful, just beautiful.
1: And I love the uh, the Hammond organ. Yeah, on that, and that's that kind of brings me to another uh, real quickly. Someone we haven't mentioned yet, uh, Robert Kinkle. Yeah, uh, he's just as much a part of the musical. Um, Uh, production and writing process as Paul O'Neill or John Oliva. Absolutely. Uh, One of the uh, pianists, organists, Mm -hmm. uh, and lyricists for the band. Uh, Very, very
0: talented musician and writer. It's kind of, to me, it's one of those, it's a beautiful thing to be able to see guys who have such a passion for something like this. It takes a lot of passion, a lot of dedication, a lot of commitment to be able to pull something like this together. Um, And... So this, you know, I know you, you, you mentioned a couple of times something that started out as really a side project and how it's really become this very much this forefront of what these guys do. And it just goes to, you know, show and to their credit uh, for the love and, and the passion that they put into it and really trying to, you know, make it the very best that it can be.
1: Something else we haven't mentioned uh, as far as their live shows go, the orchestral members mm-hmm. of the show uh now in the past as far as i know and i guess they still do it this way they get orchestral members from the local orchestras interesting uh when i see them in nashville every time i've ever seen them they've had members of the nashville symphony orchestra nice. sitting in yeah live to do these things and of course they have uh, musical conductors you know that they have a violinist that tours with them and the violinist is sort of who conducts the orchestral members gotcha. of the band. Uh, so that's that's a testament to musical talent. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure that they're given this music in advance to work on, but you know, then they show up in town and you got to perform <laughs> with them. <laughs> you got to do it. You got to come through. So yeah. uh, I think the amount of work. That goes into this project and
0: goes into this this band and all this music, to me is phenomenal. It looks to me like, and I was just sort of looking at their list of studio albums that they've recorded. It looks like they've got about nine different albums that they've recorded. It's the last one, "Letters from the Labyrinth," came out in two thousand fifteen. Have they done any since then? I'm not aware that they have. No,
1: not to my knowledge. Okay. I have, and I don't know, and I don't know what they'll do next. Right. Without Paul, I'm right. not sure. I don't know who's going to uh, take the reins uh, if reins are to be taken. Right. I don't know if Paul already had something else planned or going right. on that they need to finish out and see through. I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, he died so
0: suddenly. I know it was like, it was, uh, it blew my mind when I read about it. Uh-huh. I was like, no way. And it wasn't, you know, the sad part about it too, from what I understand was, I mean, it was, a, it was tragic to be sure But, you know, he it wasn't, you know, he didn't die in a car accident or in a, you know, in a in a plane crash or something like that. He essentially died from a from a uh, prescription overdose, not on purpose. It was accidental. Right. You know, and I mean, because from what I understand, he had a lot of of uh, sort of medical issues that he had to deal with over the years. And so he had to take, you know, he had to take a lot of medication to function, you know, and, and, and again, that's, to me, that blows my mind because I'm thinking here's this, this sort of genius of a man housed in this, this body that's giving out on him already. And he's just powering through, yeah. you know, he is just, you know, pedal to the metal and let's, let's do this thing. And, um, and how sad it is that it just, unfortunately it, it in an accident, in a very tragic accidental way, it took his life.
1: Uh, And speaking of of tragic accidents, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention their fallen bass player, Dave Z. Yeah. Uh, He was one of their touring members um, of the band um, and uh, usually toured with the West Coast Mm -hmm. um, uh, TSO group. Uh, He was uh, tragically uh, taken from us in a freak bus accident when he was touring with the band Adrenaline Mob. Oh, yeah. Uh, Adrenaline Mob... um, was a band that uh at one time boasted the talents of one mike portnoy one oh, of my yeah. favorite drummers absolutely um but um yeah they, it was uh, a terrible accident and he was taken from us far too soon as well so uh, r.i.p dave z yeah
0: and are they is he also part of the tribute for this uh particular yes tour? yes all right so uh you know you hate to hear about these guys and and losing these talents uh this way and uh, and like we have said a couple of times, I'll be very very curious to see where TSO goes from here. I, absolutely, I would, I would love 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 if they kept going because oh, I, I, I just the contribution that they make uh, to the not just the musical community but to the world honestly is to me undeniable at this point, and it would be great to see them be able to carry on.
1: I, I agree one hundred percent. They bring so much joy uh, to people through music. Uh, through their live shows uh, i still have two young children that have yet to see them live yeah (laughs) so i would love to be able to take them and uh and if anybody is listening to this podcast that has anything to do with tso please come back to nashville
2: yes
0: (laughs) yeah because they haven't been they haven't been back here in a while has
1: been well 2014 uh, i believe was the last time they were here okay and i don't know if that's got to do with um scheduling conflicts or or, timing or whatever if it's what the problem is, uh, they didn't have any problems selling out the arena that I know of, mm-hmm. but um, definitely would love to have them come back so I don't have to make a road trip <laughs> to go see them. I will, but, you
0: know... <laughs> we'll do what's necessary, but, you know... Right, we'd love to have them in our own backyard. Yeah. That yeah. would be more fun. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know TSO is incredibly philanthropic. I know they give... Really, they give millions of dollars to... Various organizations, charities, they those do. that are in need, and that's one of the things I love so much. I, I love hearing about groups that. Well, then that quote that I read just a few moments ago, you know, Paul saying we're not in it for the money, um, and and they really aren't. I mean, if if you look at at the, what they give back as a result of what they are given, um, it it's they're they are incredibly generous as an organization as. Pretty a much so. And so they're to be, honestly, to be commended. And to me, that's, again, another part of the reason I would love to see them continue on. Because not only their musical contribution, but also just the fact that they are willing to give of themselves to help those in need is, I mean, you it's it's priceless, honestly. And it's not
1: just behind the scenes that they do this. Every time I've ever seen them live, which has been several times, they will come out before the show ever even starts with a great big check wow. with a, you know an amount of money on it or whatever. Right. And the charity that they're giving to the local charity.
0: Well, let's play another one. Uh, yes, let's th- do this is, um, this is one that uh, I have a special affinity for this one. Uh, most people probably do. Uh, you're going to recognize it. I mean, we wouldn't have to say what it is and you'd recognize it. But uh, this is Wizards in Winter. And uh, uh, I, probably like many people heard this for the very first time i had no concept of really who tso was until around 2004 2005 now i'm sure that i heard their music you know cuz they tend to get played every christmas obviously everywhere but everywhere but i didn't have any real connection of who they were maybe i'd heard of them but um but i this like i said this was back in around i think about 2005 there was a video that went viral and a guy, uh, I forget where he, where he lived, but, uh, it wasn't very common for people to set up these elaborate light shows and do everything with, you know, sync, sync it with music and stuff like that. That was a relatively new thing back in the early two thousands. And this guy, uh, post or this guy s- synced up his entire, like thousands of lights, thousands of lights and synced it up with wizards and winter. And took a, somebody took a video of it and posted it out on the internet, and this thing lit the internet up. And I remember I, I contributed my fair share to lighting <laughs> the internet up, yeah. uh, 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 internet up because uh, I watched it, and then it was like, you know, you want to bring all your family and friends over and show them too, you know, kind of thing. And that was really, in, in terms of this particular song, that was my sort of introduction to this song. And I remember I was obsessed then at that point. I had to get a hold of, who did this? And, and where did it come from? And I want to get the song, you know, kind yeah. of thing. And and uh, and so, you know, it's easier to fall in love with these guys. And again, this is a good example of, although, again, a song that's played a lot right around uh, Christmas time, certainly, but it's a really good example, I think, of them taking something, taking those sort of bits and pieces of Christmas music and those uh uh just those sounds and meshing them and and building something on of their own that's incredibly hard rock and driven and I love that
1: Oh, me too and now this whole Christmas light thing on houses synced up to music is a thing it, yeah yeah they've really? got a TV show you know the great Christmas light fight or something something like something that like that. yeah my wife makes me watch it with her every year and it's it's cool i, it I enjoy cool. it I, yeah i like it and, and uh this is one of the songs that's used quite often absolutely and it, really the song in many
0: respects this was the song that kind of kicked all that off so i know somebody else knew about tso yeah <laughs> that's right so all right we're gonna play uh, wizards in Winter, and uh we come back we'll talk some more So that was Wizards in Winter, and that comes off of the Lost uh, Christmas Eve album. Correct. And uh, and so we, uh, this uh, kind of gives you a little bit sort of a sampling of sort of the, the trilogy, the original trilogy albums right. that they, they
1: released. They actually did other albums that weren't Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, like Letter from the Labyrinth and Night Castle and Beethoven's Last Night. Beethoven's Last Night. So they've done other stuff, but it's their Christmas stuff that they're f- famous for.
0: Yeah. And this is, um, we were talking a little bit while we were listening to it, too, about the connection of, you know, the, this, this sort of this orchestral aspect to their music and meshing it with that hard rock, that heavy metal. And because we haven't, we both have an affinity for both. Right. Um, we were sort of raised on this, you know, this, both styles of music in many respects. I know, I, I, and I, I absolutely love, I'm a big fan of classical music and so, uh, and, and orchestral type music. I, I'm thinking, especially I'm thinking of uh, Nat King Cole and. Um, uh, all the crooners. All the crooners. Um, and these guys, and, and you, you take that style of music. And you mesh it with this heavy metal and it's, it really is genius. Right. I mean,
1: and you throw in a little jazz and a little blues and you've just got this, uh, this mixture of great music all in one band. Yeah. it's genius. Yeah.
0: And, and the, and again, this goes to the brilliance of Paul O'Neill and these guys, this, this core group of guys who come together and say, Hey, let's do this. It's something different. Um, and really, in a lot of ways, and it is funny because now you see, you know, one of my favorite Scorpions albums, for, album, for instance, is uh, Moment of Glory, which is a, a, a live album with the uh, the the Berlin Philharmonic, and I absolutely love it. I mean, it's one of those albums I can sit, you know, and listen to all the way through from beginning to end. And it seems like a lot of those heavy metal bands, that they, they go through this sort of, cycle you know they'll do this tour and on the tour they'll have an orchestra in the background you know is uh, contributing
1: i think metallica started that right i don't yeah. i don't know if, if they were the first or not but i do remember them being very early on right metallica did that uh kiss has done it sure of course dream theater has done it right a lot of these hard rock and heavy metal bands have done these shows with an orchestral with right. an orchestra a full orchestra right because I think a lot of their songs lend themselves they really do. to that. Um, and uh, I have an album at home. And we're going in the way back machine here. <laughs> My mom and dad had this album. It was called The Living Strings Play the Monkeys.
0: Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and
1: I, I grew up on it, and I didn't know who the Monkeys were. Right. I didn't know who the Living Strings were. I just knew I loved this music. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until later that I figured out, oh, the Monkeys were a rock and roll band. Right. Wow. Okay, you know, that was uh, it was an epiphany. <laughs>
0: That's really cool. And uh,
1: I, I have uh, fond memories of sitting in front of my mom's and dad's console stereo listening to all these orchestral bands and stuff like that that they used to listen to. Uh, a lot of Christmas music, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of orchestral Christmas music, um, like the holly ridge strings and stuff like that. Sure. So uh, when I got older, as a matter of fact, just a few years ago, I went on the hunt for this Living Strings Does the Monkeys album, and I found it. Oh, did you really? I found a very clean, mint copy of wow. it. Wow. And uh, it is now residing in my vinyl collection. That's really cool. Uh, with its protective sleeve and everything on it. So, <laughs> uh, But I've, I grew up on this uh, orchestral music. I loved it as a child. Um, and of course, when I got older, it was all about hard rock and heavy metal and right. so forth and so on. So uh, I don't know why somebody hadn't done it sooner. Yeah, because I think it's magnificent. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, and I, I, I wonder very much so if because uh, I don't know how early Metallica did it in terms of, you know, chronological time. But it makes me wonder if did what these guys were doing, what, what Paul O'Neill and TSO and these guys were doing, did that influence some of these other guys go these guys they, they're they, on something they've got something yeah. let's see if we can do that with our stuff as well and like you said it is really amazing when you listen to uh when you listen to that blending of uh, of orchestra and heavy metal how much it lends itself it it's just it's almost eerie how well they mesh together and it's almost like should have been doing that all along you know kind of thing
1: it's the ultimate crossover
0: yeah yeah it really is and and one of the few that you can find to me that kind of stuff that really works and works really well right um well uh you know this is a group i mean these guys have sold tens of millions of albums they're beloved worldwide um uh and it's it's I mean, it's really hard to kind of talk about everything that, they, that they've that they done and everything they've contributed in the short amount of time that we've got. But, but really, we hope that we kind of have given you a little bit of a taste for these guys. Go see them live. Go buy their albums. Go listen to this stuff. Uh, because, you know, like Keith and I have said, we want these guys to keep going. And I think a big part of that and a big part of the motivation, I would imagine, for them to keep going is to know that the fans out there want them to keep going and keep you know, making music.
1: Keep the legacy alive. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And uh, I would encourage, even if you don't like hard rock and heavy metal or if you don't like blues or jazz or whatever, there is something in this band for everyone. Yeah, there really and is. And when I go to a TSO show, there's not a bunch of metalheads out there <laughs> headbanging. Everybody is in their seat they're quiet during the performance and then they applaud at the end, almost like an opera or something. Wow! It's, it's a very different atmosphere. It's not a hard rock show, right? Um, it's very different and you will see all ages, all kinds of people there. Right. It's, it brings everybody together mm-hmm. because there is it's such a universal language. This music is, and, uh, it, It's very broad Mm -hmm. you know it attracts a lot of different people so definitely go check out their show they are on tour as we speak yes and if you get an opportunity to go absolutely go you'll be blown away and they don't have an opening act or anything like that they are a full-on two-plus hour show Oh, i imagine yeah uh and i i have had it happen to me many times at the end of the show i'm done been there three hours and I'm like what that's all <laughs> there's no more I could do this all night keep right, going guys right, come on right you know but they truly give you your money's worth it's one of the greatest rock and roll greatest shows period mm-hmm. I have ever seen in my life I've seen them many times and they never ever disappoint and sometimes even after the show some of them will come out and talk to you that's cool Uh they're very very uh, accessible mm-hmm. Uh so great great bunch of uh, of people great show Go see them, and uh, you will not be disappointed.
0: Now, I know, uh, and one more thing that I I, want to touch on uh, before we kind of wrap this completely up. uh, I know this year on my birthday you got me this really wonderful gift of this box set of their uh, music of the first three, this trilogy. Um, But also one of the things that came with it is a DVD. And I have yet to watch it. We're we're kind of waiting for a family moment to all sit down because I've never seen it before. Our family hasn't seen it before. But uh, I know you've seen it. Many times. (laughs) I know that you have a real affinity, real love for it. Uh, Talk a little bit about that and the kind of uniqueness of what that is and what they're doing with that particular sort of I don't know if you call it a movie or if you call it a a performance or what you would call it exactly well it's
1: um it's called the Ghosts of Christmas Eve that's the name of the DVD Mm -hmm. and they they're taking mostly songs from the first three or for the first two albums I'm sorry because uh when they made the DVD the Lost Christmas Eve wasn't done yet wasn't made yet so it's really from the first two albums but there's a couple of a few songs actually on there with some guest musicians and guest, uh, uh, singers, uh, like Jewel is on it for one, uh, that are not on the CDs. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get a little bonus. It's not just a bunch of songs off the first two albums. There's songs on there that you're not going to get anywhere else. Uh, and it's, uh, they've, they've taken these songs and of course, all the TSO albums are conceptual. they all tell a story. But what they've done is they've taken these, some of these songs, out of these two CDs and put them in this DVD and made them part of another story. So these songs lend themselves in different ways. You can use them in one story and take it out and put it in another story, which is what they've done here. And it's just more of the genius of Paul O'Neill, I suppose. But, um, my family and I watch it every year, every this time, every year around Christmas, we watch it. And, uh, I remember my wife telling me one, one year we were like, "Well, do we go see TSO this year? Can we afford it? Can we? Do we right. need to spend the money? You know, it's Christmas time; we have to buy presents and blah blah blah." And uh, I just I said, "Let's watch the TSO DVD tonight," because you know I was a little bummed because I didn't think I was going to get to go. And uh, we put that DVD in, and my wife and I sat there and watched it with the kids. And Sonya looked at me and said, "Let's go." So we just pulled the money together and went. Nice. And you know it was one of those. Moments where, like, you know, if you watch this, you're gonna. If you watch this DVD, you're gonna want to go. You're gonna want to go. You're gonna, man. I've got to go see these people live. And this was early on in their career, remember? Right. So this ain't even close to the spectacle you'll see if you go see them now. Wow. That's... It's just amazing what they do now. They just, like, like we said earlier, they spare no expense.
0: Yeah. And what's the name of that DVD again? The Ghost of Christmas Eve. So if you get a chance, get get it, get it, watch it. Um, this this is gonna be the first Christmas for our family to watch it, so we're very much looking forward to it. We've got five in our family, so we're trying to get our schedules all right. you know lined up. So, because my son works, and so it's like, well, okay, but uh, but we're we're gonna sit down and watch this thing because uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Because I love these albums and I love this music, and I can only imagine what it's like sort of integrating it in with with this nice performance that they they have on this.
1: And uh, these these things are actually uh, you know back in the good old days, you can go to a Uh, a store you know and buy this stuff Mm -hmm. now you just about have to get it on amazon or something so sure all of this stuff is available out there if you uh like to shop online yeah uh the dvd is um, available by itself okay uh so that's something that you know if you don't want the entire box set Mm -hmm. which if you don't have any of this i recommend you know highly yeah but uh the dvd is available by itself we're doing all kinds of uh advertisement for tso oh journalism. man
0: and they deserve every last <laughs> bit of it and yes. we make nothing from it and we are just fine with that because these guys i tell you what in all seriousness this this is a group you need you need to invest some time into and and money into frankly i mean support these guys because they deserve every last penny because again they're not just taking it for themselves they give it back and that's one of the things i love about them
1: yep they're a, a, a fantastic uh Band, uh,
0: fantastic music. Yep. Well, uh, well, that about wraps it up for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed this little trip, uh, this little Christmas journey that we've taken, uh, and uh, with uh, with TSO. And if you don't know their stuff, get to know them and go out and 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 listen to their stuff as well. Um, as for us, you can find us on Facebook. Just go to Facebook, look for Between the Notes. We'll be right there. We'll probably be the first uh, result that comes up in your search. Uh, like us on Facebook, join us on this journey. We want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. Uh, we are uh, uh, we're we're working on uh, kind of getting some other things set up. We do have an email address that you can email now. So if you want to email us, here's the email address btncast at gmail.com. Btncast at gmail.com. So if you have a suggestion. If you have a comment, have a feedback, you, you're welcome to leave it on Facebook, uh, but uh, you can also email us if you'd like to, and uh, and we will do our very, very best to be sure that we respond to each and every email that we get so that you know we got it and we read it and uh, and, and are getting back to you, because we, we really want to hear what you have to say and, and get your feedback as well.
1: And between uh, from us to you, Rich and Keith, Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas. We hope that you guys have a great holiday season. And uh, we look forward to joining you on our next episode. So until then, we'll see you.